0: Hello, and welcome to Don't Ignore the Elephant, the podcast where we talk about the stuff that no one else will, the elephant in the room. I'm Lizzo Reardon. I'm a breast cancer surgeon with breast cancer. And during my career, I've had a lot of elephants to deal with. I've learned that talking about them, getting them out in the open, can help you know that you're not alone. Whether it's cancer or other illnesses, mental health issues, sexual problems, bullying, harassment, or the death of a loved one, there are loads of things that can be hard to discuss. I know how powerful it can be to hear someone else talk honestly about their own problems. Some of my guests have lived these experiences, whilst others have dedicated their lives to helping those who have. I'm going to be chatting to them about it and asking the questions everyone else is too afraid to ask. In this episode, we'll be talking about cancer, death, suicide, and euthanasia. I'm so excited to welcome my first guest, the amazing actor, producer, and soon-to-be strictly megastar, Greg Wise. Now, I had a huge crush on Greg after seeing the film Sense and Sensibility. He played John Willoughby, the handsome, rugged, rain-soaked bachelor who literally swept Kate Winslet off her feet. You might have watched him singing in Walking on Sunshine or playing Lord Manbatten in The Crown. Perhaps you've heard of his wife, Emma Thompson. He won a certain celebrity baking show in 2019 and is now ready to don the fake tan for this year's Strictly. But as life-changing as these competitions might be, Greg has already faced something far more profound. His older sister Claire was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2013. She died three years later, aged 51. They lived on the same street and Greg was her living carer for the last three months of her life. He took over her blog when she was unable to write, and the blog became a book, Not That Kind of Love. He's a patron of the charity End of Life Doula UK, which aims to support every person to experience the death that they choose. Now, Greg and I first met over online cocktails because I won him in an auction. We realised that we both talk honestly and openly about cancer and death, so I'm thrilled he's able to join me today. Welcome to the podcast, Greg.
1: Oh, Liz, thank you so much. And I think we also just need to say... The few hours before you and I met having a cocktail, you having won me in, in a death forum. Yes. I was dealing with the death of a neighbour up the street who I had literally tripped over six or seven hours earlier. In her you were, weren't you? So um, death, death is all around, all the time.
0: It is. Now, I know your happy hour starts at five and we're recording this <laughs> mid-morning, so it might be a little early for a martini, although I'm told Mrs Weiss can make a mean one.
1: She Well, actually, she's today finally finishing three films back-to-back. She started filming in January this year. Um, we're now the 3rd of September, and she has her very last day. So I cycled off early this morning and got a bottle of vermouth and a bottle of something I think called bath gin.
0: Uh-huh. So
1: I will leave that out for her because I won't be in when she gets back and she can make herself a banging martini.
0: Sounds wonderful. Now. I read your book just after my cancer had come back Mm. and it was really painful to actually see what might happen to me in the future. But I was also shocked to find out just how hard it was for you to look after Claire when she was dying at home. Because simple things like emptying a catheter that I take for granted. And I think doctors often forget that carers have very little medical nursing knowledge. Just how scary was it?
1: Um, We were very lucky, Claire and I, because were both problem solvers Mm -hmm. and one of the things that you'll know having been in the business is every day someone is going through an end-of-life journey new things appear and sometimes quite minor things which then you know this is the start of something becoming more and more major and to start with, it was to do with drinking. She couldn't necessarily drink out of a, a, a glass anymore, so we used straws, and then she couldn't drink out of straws because um, the side of her face was getting slightly palsied. So I thought, oh, one of these little Tommy, tippy, baby things. would work. <laughs> um, you just try and work things through. I, I mean, I was going to go as far as just getting a watering can and getting it to like that, but, Um <laughs> But, but it is, it is. And, and, and one of the, actually, the, the very good things about this with the two of us is that we had a very clear focus as a team to try and solve things, because that's what we both enjoyed doing. What happened was, as it progressed, and in fact, we were just at the start of a major change. Mm. in the way that her care could have been delivered because it was starting to get medical, properly medical. It had been pretty much palliative from the time that I turned up and moved in, which was about three months before she died. But now we were starting to get, she was catheterized. We were just that day, the day she died, Mm -hmm. we were going to get a care package from the local council and i think that was the reason that she chose that day to die i mean this is something we can can talk about a little bit later on if we want Mm. about the incredible power of the mind over the body and the body over the mind claire's body Mm. had had pretty much disappeared um we had our lovely gp who's, who's known claire for years and years hadn't seen her for about six weeks came in probably 10 days before she died, came back to me uh, in the other room and said, I have no idea how she's still alive. I can't believe yeah. by looking at her body. But she had that, she had that will. Um, but we did get to a place where it was above my pay grade. And I realized that. Uh, yeah. And I was able to forgive myself for that because I'm not a trained professional. I was a brother trying to do whatever I could do with, I think, what I coined the three C's, which was being calm, capable and consistent,
0: Yeah,
1: um, which <laughs> are three w- wonderful <laughs> C's to bounce around. Quite often, you can't make any of them, um, no. but you have to forgive yourself. That's the point.
0: You do. Was it hard being a brother as well as a carer? Were you able to have those two relationships?
1: I think in a strange way, it was probably easier because of the, what was over 50 years of history between the two of us. Um, We'd been very close. We remained very close. She lived 50 yards down the street from where I live um, with my family. So, we were able, probably, to bypass a lot of the things that that, that a professional carer would have to sort out with whoever they're yeah. caring for, and also there's this—it's a glorious act of love from her side of mm. things that she will accept that her brother will strip her down, put her in the the plastic commode. He'll be dressed in his cheap. Marks and, Sp- no, not cheap. Marks and Spencers I, I won't hear anything said against Marks and Spencers <laughs> underpants they're marvellous I'm wearing a pair at the moment always um, have a
0: clean pair in your handbag <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and, and that, that it, it is I think an act of love that she allowed me to do that to take her yeah. into to the shower wheel her in and wash her and 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 dry her and do the bits of powdering and the bits then that I couldn't do she had her 18 girls she had her very Very close, four very close girlfriends who would come and do the things that I couldn't necessarily do and give her a little bit of a spa day in the bed. Yeah. And all of that. You mean you're not
0: good at putting on nail polish? Uh,
1: I I, I think we were (laughs) slightly beyond the nail polish stage. But uh, um, uh, what we would call washing the undercarriage um, is not not necessarily what a brother wants to do or the sister wants the brother to do. But but, but everything else, everything else. Uh, And I was very, very fortunate because... Just after I left school, I'd worked as a thing called a community service volunteer where mm-hmm. I was sent to Nottingham University, oddly, on my year off between school and uni. I ended up at university looking after disabled students there. So I had a, a third year student with muscular dystrophy and uh, I had to lift him out of his chair, lift him onto the toilet, wipe his bum, take him for a bath, turn him in bed uh, when he rang a little bell. So I was already from the age of 18 reasonably versed in not having that embarrassment but of course it's all led by the person that you are working with exactly and again that's a very interesting thing to think about that you are working together yeah and I think I think there's sometimes some difficulties in people thinking oh I know what's best I'm the able-bodied one let me help let me do rather than working out where you are required and where it's better for you not to help, to stand back.
0: I think it's the same with a doctor-patient relationship. Yeah, Often yeah. the doctor thinks they know best and you yeah. never actually stop and listen.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's the great thing. And I, I, I know you're having Catherine Mannix uh, on one of your chats soon. Yeah. But, um, the, her, the book that she's just finished, Listen, is wonderful because it's so simple and so many of us do it so badly. Yeah. We talk a lot. We don't listen well. Um, We're too busy
0: working out what to say next, like I've just done now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, shut up, shut up. Let me speak. It's all about me.
0: It is all about you for an hour or so. (laughs) In the book, you talked about um, throwing shit outwards Mm. that Ash mentioned. Can you explain that Mm. for the listeners? Uh,
1: Well, uh, bless him. He he was a a boy in my year at drama school and my flatmate for three years, uh, Ashley Collishaw, who... Um, after about five or ten years, in realized that he he didn't want to be an actor and wanted to be a vicar. So he trained. I actually wrote to his bishop, as his lay referee, saying, "I think this guy would make a wonderful, wonderful vicar." So he's he's now a vicar up in um, Cheltenham,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, I was I was probably pretty low, probably halfway through looking after Claire in her last months. And bless him, he came down and. Uh, after I got Claire settled, he and I wandered out into the back garden with a bottle of whiskey. Um, a slight side story, uh, I fed him too much whiskey and he had a heart attack the next day. I'm <gasps> told it wasn't down to the whiskey.
0: Doctor. Okay, I believe you.
1: <laughs> but um, Ash, Ash, as a vicar, God bless him, told me what he'd learned um, because, of course, he spends a lot of time with people who are, who are dying, about... Mm-hmm about throwing shit outwards. Uh, and I loved the fact that a reverend used the word <laughs> shit. Um, yeah. the, the person in the centre of all the circles, of course, is the person who is dying. And the first circle around them is the partner, the child, the, the very, very close family. Then there's another circle out that, which is the wider family. Then a circle outside that, which are the close friends. Then another circle, the more disparate friends. And, of course, as we know in our lives anyway, even when we're hale and hearty, we have circles of family and friendships and things build out up to the Mm. final circles, which, of course, are all your your Facebook friends and your Twitter followers. Um, And Ash was saying, you are absolutely allowed to throw shit outwards. So me... In the first circle around Claire, in despair, is allowed to turn to the circle outside me and go, ah. Yeah. Claire in the middle of it all, Claire in the center, is allowed to turn to me and go, ah. But yeah. what is absolutely not allowed is for the outer circle to, to, to take their neurosis and their fear, their anxiety and their anger and turn it inwards onto me. And I am absolutely not allowed to go, ah, and turn it inwards onto Claire. But of course I did, because that's being human. Yeah. Of course you do that, and then you have to try and forgive yourself. But one of the fascinating things which I learned as I was going through it all, and it's one of the reasons that I picked up the blog that Claire had started and had been unable to write for quite a while because she was too ill, Mm -hmm. I took it up purely as a means of defense to defend myself against the outer circles to defend myself against the neurosis and anxiety and 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 anger of the outer circles Um, and i realized that i was spending an awful lot of my time calming the outer circles down and if you read the book i think you'll probably be able to find the moment when I realised that it was not my responsibility, my job, or was it caring not to be honest about Claire, about where Claire was at that time. Yeah. And for quite a few weeks, I was couching saying, oh, it's all good and fine. And she was in the garden today and we did this and we did that. And I didn't write anything about it's pretty scary, she can't do this, she can't do that. I was trying to keep it light to protect the outer circles, exactly. which is insane. And I realised at a, at a certain point in time that, A, who, who was I to do that, some sort of God figure? No, you've got to try and be as honest as possible. With, of course, an awful lot of the outer circle are people who love her, who yeah. she loves. And we have to try and find a way of being honest and you will know this as a as a doctor as well that there can be loving honesty kind honesty or honesty that makes you feel better for having unloaded yeah. um uh, or ju- we just have to get all the information out here so this is it this is it blah, 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 without yeah. going how it's- are you going to hear this how am i there's- going to frame this
0: exactly there's telling someone they've got cancer and telling someone they've got cancer yeah yeah. I think it's that protection. It comes from love. I know when I was having chemo, I would cry in the shower, and I didn't mm. want my mum and dad to know how ill I was feeling because yeah. I wanted to protect them. Yeah. But then yeah. you you're not offering them the chance to love you and support you.
1: Well, that's it. That's it. I mean, it's it's so fascinating. One of the things that I've been doing more than anything else, I think, um, since Claire died, was mm. just going around and telling everyone we all have to talk about death we all have to be honest about it I've I've put together a death box which has templates of advanced wishes of where the keys are for the the spare set of car keys are what the code is on that what my password you know all of these things we have just to try and be open and honest because it is an act of love it is cruel withholding information it is cruel not being able to share how you're feeling with others and again with having looked after Claire my ideas about my end of life changed completely I can imagine because I realized that the months I spent with her were an absolute combination of trauma and privilege
0: yeah
1: I mean almost totally balanced and in the past, in my earlier life, I thought, if I get the terminal diagnosis, it's up into the hills with a bottle yep. of whiskey, the hypothermic end, glorious. Um, yep. I'm a mountain climber. I know how, how easy it is to get hypothermia. I've had hypothermia. Once you get through the first being very cold bit of hypothermia, it's really calm. It's rather They say that. So just, just take yourself up, bottle of whiskey, strip down.
0: Sainsbury's really? pants or m s
1: Completely <laughs> naked, come on.
0: Okay, okay. Um,
1: uh, and then I realised that that would be cruel to those left behind who love me. Because...
0: But does it the, matter what they think? Because this is all about your death.
1: It does matter what they think. It absolutely does. Because if you love someone in your life, you hopefully love them when your life is over. Yeah. And if they've loved you, hopefully they will continue to love you after you've died. If you take yourself off in a unilateral way, now the point of this is, I will still be unilateral, but it will be later if yeah. I am able, obviously. Um, yeah. And again, we can talk about the whole euthanasia, um, end of life thing, if if you want later on, but the time I spent, those last months I spent with my sister were so potent Mm. and so extraordinary. And we found ourselves in a place that we would not have accessed had we not had that time together under those circumstances. As horrible as it was, it was a very powerful time. And I think those around you your close family if you have close family your close friends your support system you are denying them the opportunity of finding all of ourselves in that space yeah um now that's not to say that at some point within all of that I won't go do you know what I've had enough Fuck it. goodbye yeah and I would dearly love still to be able to take myself up into the hills behind the cottage in Scotland with a very fine bottle of <laughs> probably West Coast, maybe an island, yeah. nice Jura, nice peaty malt. A posh yeah. bottle, of course. Like with my pants, I normally just get <laughs> cheap whiskey because I probably drink too much of it. And I'm a northern puritan, so I'm not worth good whiskey. But I think for this
0: The last glass.
1: It'll be a banging bottle of something yeah.
0: marvellous. Were you surprised that Claire didn't have a will or a funeral plan? (laughs)
1: No, 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 no. My sister, bless her, um, lived a life of denial. Um, And I think, again, one of the things that became clear, I was fortunate enough because of the work I do, because I'm self-employed, to have been with my mum when she died. Yeah. uh, And I spent um, her last few months on and off with her, she lived on her own um, um, up, in, up in York. Uh, and I was with my dad for his last couple of months, oddly, because I found myself filming very close to where he lived. Um, so I'd stay with him while I was filming and continue staying with him uh, on the days when I wasn't working. Um, and people die the way they've lived. I think that's very uh, that became very clear to me. So my dad was very pragmatic, very withdrawn. So the time I spent with him before his death, uh, endlessly shuttling to uh, local charity shops to the tip, collating things, because he was a professor of architecture, collating things that should go back to university, collating things that should go here. Oh, this is borrowed from the faculty of whatever that has to go back to them.
0: Like clearing house to stop you doing it.
1: Yeah. A lot of his family uh, were fine artists. A lot of his friends were fine artists. So he had a lot of of art and sculpture and everything was labelled. Who had done it, (laughs) when he'd got it, all of this, who should have it. And I did all of this, all of this. We then found him an apartment in a care home so he could still be reasonably independent but still have that set up around him if he needed it he visited it he drew a plan of it he worked out exactly what furniture he was going to take with him what paintings wow. where they would go my sister and I put everything in a big van and took it down and <laughs> he went to go <coughs> and stay with his partner came and visited the place that we'd already filled with his it would just look wonderful look like a mini yeah. version of where he'd been living for the last few decades and he saw it and he saw that it was good and Fantastic. And I'll probably move in next week, but I just need to get a little bit more able to do that. So he went back to stay with his partner and I took myself off for a week's holiday Mm -hmm. with my um, wife and daughter to Egypt. As soon as the plane hit the runway, he was dead. Wow. Heart attack. So he went off his way very pragmatic. My mum, fiery, fiery. Eastern European extraction, Croatian Transylvanian parents, Mm -hmm. had a lot of anger in her, was very vocal. Her last months were angry and vocal. My sis was... Uh, a woman of a certain age with a cat had never had. Now,
0: a, I've been a single lady with a cat. I'm not hearing yeah, any yeah, abuse of the cat ladies.
1: Okay, I'm not being disparaging. I'm just <laughs> saying don't get so I defensive know. now, Liz. <laughs> Be kind. Um, I will. Uh, and she, she was a powerful, independent, high up in the various organisations that mm. she worked with with the expense account, the soft top sports car, the parking space at the office, uh, the disposable income, the 100 pairs of shoes, but did not want to go the route that I had gone with partner and children and whatever else, had no relationship whatsoever with her body when she was healthy, Yeah. therefore had no relationship with her body when it was falling apart, which is why she lasted so long, because she was very cerebral. Um, Yeah, coming back to what our lovely GP had said. Mm. And if I ever tried to get a little bit too deep into an emotional talk, the physical and the metaphorical hand would come up. Right. Stop. Just stop.
0: Yeah.
1: I became an absolute therapy monkey when I realised that I had to do an awful lot of work to help me through the second half of my life. And Claire was not able to access that, to do that. She was not able to explore um, a lot of the things that she and I had had in our childhood that was not necessarily um, healthy, which, of course, a lot of people have, a lot of kids have, but hopefully we can work through it and and not repeat it when we have our own children. So she was... uh, Maybe denial is too strong a word when she was healthy, but she was someone who didn't want to confront anything that was too dark, emotionally dangerous. Yeah. uh, That would expose her too much. So, of course, she didn't make a will. Of course, she had no end of life plan. Of course, her brother, who's the pragmatist, had read all the bloody books (laughs) Had read the Atelje Gilbandis and the, and, yeah. and all of that, and she yeah. and Claire was doing it wrong. She was doing it wrong. She wasn't doing it right. She was doing it wrong because we needed to do this. she needed to do that. We needed to work out the balance between between the opiates and actually being able to have a conversation. We need to do this. We need to, yeah. She was just. No. She, she wasn't. She wasn't doing it properly.
0: No, or maybe <laughs> she was for her. She was doing it right for her.
1: She was doing it the only way she could do it. That's the point. And again, um, that was the other thing that that it was her gig. it wasn't my gig.
0: And that's hard to accept isn't it? Um, it can you, be Yeah,
1: yeah um, I, I well, yes, um, you keep being reminded the universe keeps th- thumping you over the head saying, just stop it. This is her her thing. What was wonderful was that she was able to meet with a will lawyer gosh, probably only three weeks before she died, Mm -hmm. who came round to the house that I'd organised and and she sat down. And we'd already done a little bit of homework and worked out most of the things. But goodness me, goodness me, as her executor, she didn't half leave me in a lot of shit. So much stuff that I had begged her to do that would have just saved an awful lot of post-death trauma for me. Probate
0: can be exhausting. Oh, God,
1: and just... Um, I mean, uh, I have made a documentary about tax avoidance. I'm not interested in tax avoidance or tax evasion, but the way that she left her affairs, a stupidly enormous amount of money went to the government that shouldn't have. So there we are. But that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine.
0: This drives me mad. I think a lot of doctors are too scared to tell patients they're dying and they yeah. don't get the chance to sort their affairs out or yeah. talk about who wants, yeah. wants.
1: But that's why you sort your affairs out. When you're healthy, when you're hale, when I you're know. hearty, it's what I've been banging on to everyone. I'm, I'm, I'm really boring now when mates come yeah. round for, for dinner or, or you know, drinks or whatever and I say, right, have you done this? Have you thought about that? Ah. Yeah. And I've got a chump who, who was on a ventilator last year. He still hasn't got a will. He's got three kids. He's been married for 40 years. They haven't got a will.
0: When did you write yours?
1: We did our will when our daughter was born. Yeah. So that's 20 years ago, and we redo it every four or five years. Yeah. Um,
0: I didn't have one. I only wrote mine when my cancer came back. And my husband, Dermot, found it really hard to accept that I might die before him. It wasn't going to happen. It was like the elephant in our room, and I had to sit him down and say, can we just do this, please? Yeah. And I was amazed that I hadn't done it before. It just didn't occur.
1: It is a bit mad, isn't it?
0: How can we make people start talking and preparing and planning for the end of their life?
1: I'm banging on an awful lot now about, uh, and, and and it's down to the all the conversations that Catherine Mannix and I had, because we mm. found ourselves doing quite a lot of public speaking together. Both of our books were published um, and we'd bang up to various book festivals and then um, did talks at universities. And, and it was Catherine who beautifully put it, I think it's in her book, that, that there are two days in our lives that are under 24 hours, mm. the day we were born and the day we die. And we spend all of our time focusing on that first day and completely ignoring the other day. And the idea that we, we have been discussing heavily was getting, um, I think it's called PSHE, isn't it, at school, mm when you start yeah. learning sex education, where babies come from. Well, yeah. within all of that, learn where babies go to. Yeah. Surely, surely. And within all of that, be told how to open a bank account, how to use a post office, You know, all of these things, all of these things, because people are thrown out of any form of schooling with absolutely no common sense at all, possibly a lot of knowledge. But no. But you don't sense. know how
0: to live, do you? Yeah. And I think
1: we have to be able to talk about end of life uh, at the same time as we're talking about beginning of life because it is all life. It is life right the way through until the last breath and then it's death.
0: And it happens to all of us. And it
1: happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. And, and if we're able to do it in as light, open, honest fun way as possible because of course we laugh about death we laugh about things that frighten us that scare us um and if we're able to approach it in in a way now not everyone is going to be able to be to be as as open and again um looking at the words that are used past
0: oh god uh, yeah uh, uh,
1: and slipped off um, Cross the rust. rainbow bridge, uh, yes, and, and 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 just saying, are we able to find a vocabulary? Because we're being asked to find vocabularies all the time that we haven't thought about. We're being asked to think about personal pronouns now, yes, in the whole gender question. We're being asked to reframe the words we use about race. Um, so, so I think we are able to learn new words. And whether we're able to use the D word now.
0: Yeah. As a doctor, for the first 10 years of my training, we never said the word cancer. No. It was a lump or a neoplasm or a malignancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Which is interesting because are you not wanting to go there or are you not wanting the person that you're talking to to go there or do you combined not want to have that conversation
0: I think when I was training you copied what you heard your peers say and it was that fear that you can't tell the patient they have cancer because they don't need to know but when I had cancer myself you suddenly think well it happens to one or two of us and the language is really interesting so whenever someone famous dies because of cancer the media say they lost their battle yeah, they lost God, their fight I it drives happened. me mad were you aware of kind of the language around cancer before Claire had it? And do you think differently about the terms we use now? Yeah,
1: it's it's tricky because, I mean, Claire and I walked into a beautiful new building, beautiful building, <laughs> called the Cancer Centre. Um, so you kind of know why you're there, don't you? Yeah, really. You do. Um, I did have to plead with her oncologist and then later on with the the wonderful palliative doctor from the, uh, the Marie Curie hospice to use words properly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because Claire was in denial about a lot mm. of the things, the reason she couldn't get out of bed in the last month, six weeks, and go to the toilet on her own was because her brother had not done enough physiotherapy with her. It wasn't. Yeah. That she she had bone cancer it wasn't that she was just filled with tumors and yeah. she had no muscle strength left and she had no 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 uh, any core strength yeah and ability to do any of this and she very quiet and, and I and I I, I begged the, the doctor be to be as clear as he could and he was beautiful beautiful kind mm. and calm and and not not throwing big words around, just being very clear about everything. And Claire, listen to it all and listen to it all and said, Thank you very much. I want a second opinion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, literally a month before yeah. So it's again, with looking at the wider society and when we start talking about death, we have to look at this within the medical training. We have to be able to 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 at the outset say to your peers straight out of school, straight into medical school, whatever. Um, An awful lot of the people that you deal with on a day-to-day basis um, under your care will die. That's a given. Yeah. Um, So let's let's start talking about this in year one. And hopefully by our fifth year, by the time we become junior doctors or whatever, we'll be well versed and it won't be scary and we'll be able to do it. Um, Interestingly Gosh, 20 years ago now, mm-hmm. uh, my missus did a film called Wit, which had oh, been a brilliant. Pulitzer Prize-winning play that Mike Nichols directed, um, a, 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 an extraordinary piece about a woman dying of ovarian cancer. And and, and about th- probably two or three years ago, th- through mm-hmm. the post, she received a medical award.
0: Aww. And
1: this film is being used as a teaching device in some American teaching hospitals mm-hmm. of how not to talk to patients. I get that. Yeah, yeah. Because, of course, you see this film and, and it's just it's just madness because now, <laughs> the elephant in the room is quite large within the film. Yes. And no one is discussing it. No. Um, or the doctors are just coming in and saying, right, I know what's best, blah, 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 blah.
0: Yeah. And I think as a doctor, I I got so little training in how to tell someone they're dying yeah. and how to realise someone is dying. Yeah. It's all about keep them alive at every cost. And yeah, which, some is, people which,
1: nat- is, which is mad, which is mad. I mean, this is another thing that makes me so bloody angry. But it's it's all down to the fact that people are not communicating with each no. other. And if we, I, I, God, I, I would assume if we start a grassroots roots medical movement about communication yeah we would save the nhs billions easily and billions and billions every year from needless treatment
0: the tests and the drugs and yeah. the fluids and you think yeah. the patient's dying have you yeah. asked them yeah. the thing that gets me is we don't like telling patients they're dying because it's easier to wait until they slip into a coma Yeah,
1: yeah. someone
0: on death row gets to choose their last meal mm. But if you're dying, Mm. I want to say what my last five senses are going to be. And we're denying them that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. So learn to speak death in year one of medical school. And I know that one of the conversations I had towards the end, and bless her, Claire's oncologist, did come round on a Saturday morning and sit by her bed. Mm. This is probably only about a fortnight before she died. And just try to be as honest as possible with where she was because I was losing my my shit at the time because I, I knew we were we were changing daily and, and, yeah. and only facing in one duration. And I was just desperate for, and it wasn't necessarily to, to, to have the big conversation because that's nonsense. There are no last words. There are you no. know, only in novels, but just so that we were able as a unit together to be able to make this time as comfortable and comforting as possible. Um, But again, that was me bringing my shit to the party. Um, You're allowed. But would you say that that actually all these billions of of pounds needlessly spent are down to a doctor being scared, being timid, being embarrassed, frightened?
0: I think it's a lot of it. I think you go into medicine to save people and I had no exposure to palliative care. As a trainee, I thought palliative care referral meant you've got days to live. But Mm -hmm. actually, it's supportive. I should have been referred when I was diagnosed six years ago to Mm -hmm. help with pain control. And I think if you've got consultants who don't want to admit someone is dying, the junior doctors are too scared. Mm -hmm. And they see people really, really ill. And it's like a low threshold to refer to palliative care, but they're just too scared to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it is amazing the support people can give and just let people die in peace. And just say, enough's enough. We
1: know, we know very clearly that the, the earlier you go to palliative, the longer you live and the better quality yeah. of life you have. It's that simple. It ain't rocket science.
0: No. And they cover everything we can't. So the holistic, yeah. the spiritual, yeah. the yeah. comfort, yeah. everything to make it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Completely. So we have to, you know, uh, not wanting to be all uh, pejorative about things, but we have to just be a little bit better don't we? We we really do. We have to be better as individuals, you lot have to be better as practitioners we have to be better as patients, being able to listen and ask
0: Are you scared of dying?
1: No, no, no no, because we're all going to die. I mean it's it's that wonderful Woody Allen quote isn't it, I'm not scared of dying I just don't want to be there at the time (laughs) Love that. I think dying's a bit of a fucker, I think death's all right. it's the getting there Exactly. Uh, which is why, if I am able, uh, or if, if, if the law has changed by that time, I would like to be able to choose the time and manner. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think as a doctor, I tend to see the bad deaths in hospital. You get mm-hmm. called to the people who were arresting, who were dying, the people who die on the table that you can't save. Mm-hmm. I have no real memories of the peaceful deaths. And it's that fear of what it might be like yeah. that makes you think I okay. want to have some control.
1: Yeah, but again, Catherine Blesser, Catherine Mannix mm. uh, uh, says, "Look, I've seen—I don't know what is it—fifteen thousand, twenty thousand deaths, whatever she's yeah. she's been in on. She said there were probably less than half a dozen that I wanted to get in and help." Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we're all we're all heading that way. Um, I think you will be able to talk about this so much better than me, but I think there can be a cruelty of long-term cancer. Yes. Um, and whether you are then able to access the medical information and access your inner strength to be able to say, I understand that this is terminal. Uh, it's nine months if I keep on chemo
0: which will make me feel like shit and give me no quality of life.
1: Yeah, which will make me feel like shit. So I'm going to stop chemo and I don't care if it's a third of that because nine months of feeling shit is as shit as three months of yeah probably feeling an awful lot better and being able to get my shit together.
0: And I think it gets really hard when your loved ones want you to keep going because yeah. they can't bear the thought of losing you and yeah. you've got that, am I doing this for them or for me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, MS and it's not really- just cancer, MS, muscular yeah. dystrophy. Yeah. Anyone with a chronic, long-term illness. Yeah, it's, it's super.
1: Um- it's super complicated. It's super complicated. And of course, of course, it's it's not necessarily a long-term illness that's going to take you that year. That if if you see your child struggling to care for you and keep a job held down and care for their own children, and you just think oh, I'm a bloody burden, let me yeah. take myself off. Obviously, it's it's a complicated argument, but. I'm terribly, <laughs> terribly keen on uh, on being able to choose how I how I get off this spinning orb. I think it's really important.
0: I yeah. do. When you think of all the, the national care, the childbirth plans, yeah. the lessons that you have to bring a baby into the yeah. world and the planning and the second plans and third plans, but death?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Now, I can't let you go before I ask you a couple of things about Strictly. Oh,
1: yes. Yeah.
0: Claire was the disco queen. She was. What's the one song that will always get you on the dance floor?
1: Oh God, there isn't one, honestly. Uh, there isn't one. No, not a is... dad
0: dance. There's nothing. Um, song from the wedding.
1: Um, I I played at the wedding actually. Um, did you? I played with my with my then brother-in-law. Yeah, we we, we had a little gig. It was great.
0: Um, guitar or do you sing? Guitar,
1: guitar and singing. Yeah, the two of us playing guitar and singing.
0: So, what's your top song that you'd play in a band?
1: I think. Forget Me on the Floor and Claire's kind of theme tune it has to be Dancing Queen by Ada. Love it. Um, so I'm going to try and do a dance for that if I survive. I'm um, <sighs> uh, just thinking maybe I can see if I can get the band to do it as a, a waltz time, a three, four time.
0: Oh, that'd be wonderful.
1: Because uh, uh, they're an amazing, amazing band.
0: Yeah, they're great, aren't they? Uh,
1: so, but we'll have to wait and see. I haven't haven't started yet. I've been doing all the preamble stuff, all the The, endless... the press
0: ups and the push ups and the. Spips well, yeah, that, the...
1: that that that. <laughs> I'm just trying to say fit, but but a lot of stuff with them already. A lot of the filming, a lot of the wandering yep. around in awe at glitter balls and having ticket tape fall on me and dancing with a broom and being strictly fied with my shiny shiny outfits and chest wax. Uh, no, no, I, I talked to them yesterday about that. I said, uh, what about this old man's hair? And they said, no, Lena, it's nice. Okay. So I can't pretend that I'm not the oldest person on it this year. Okay. Uh, which I am, which is very strange, because uh, I always thought I was the juve lead, but um, I'm not anymore. I'm the old no. man. No, um, With grey hair. Yeah, so I'm meeting my partner next week. I still don't know who that is, and they don't know either, which That's is so rather, exciting. rather Rather excellent. So we've got quite a fun reveal which of course i can't tell you about.
0: no 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 i will wait
1: and then we rehearse for the first show so it all it all kicks off it all kicks off this time next week i'll be i'll I'll be in a cold sweat obviously um
0: loving or hating everything you have to tell me that you're going to do the dirty dancing lift dressed as willoughby at some point in the show
1: (laughs) (laughs) i suggested doing the dirty dancing lift i think it's been done a few times who cares Uh, yeah yeah the dirty dancing lift, dressed as Willoughby, get in. Yes, Fantastic. come on now. Yeah, just yeah. satisfy
0: well, my bleeding heart at the age yeah. of twenty-one.
1: Hopefully, hopefully, we'll have a bit of fun with the fact that you know I'm I'm a I'm an actor and I've been around the block a few times and, and done a bit of stuff, so we can. And we can you're make... used to
0: wearing makeup and all that.
1: Yeah, 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 but not that
0: kind of makeup, really. That's true.
1: But you know, some of the costumes that I've already been trying on are, are wonderful, and and just wandering up there yesterday to the studios, all the professionals are. Doing their dance numbers to be scattered throughout the season, yeah. Now, so they're filming them all and seeing them wandering around in in Halloween gear is oh is wow. Loud. But they're all they're all so so lovely and so kind. Um, so I'm just 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 starting to get into the idea that that I'll be spending hopefully a few weeks dancing, which I've never done. I'm not a dancer at all, at all. Not but even in must...
0: Walking on Sunshine.
1: Well, yeah, but that was a you know that was only. I don't know, a minute and a half of something and um, endlessly rehearsed it because I, I just didn't want to fall over or kick her or stand on her feet. Yeah,
0: and I guess the waltzes in all the period dramas aren't quite the same as doing a cha-cha and sequence.
1: No, 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 no. I mean, all the sort of Austinian stuff is mm. is, is, is more like a, a very slow line dance, really. Uh, so, uh, no, it's going to be a whole a whole new thing, but that's the point. That's the point, and and that's what I feel so fortunate about, that, that having been doing this for 30 years now I'm setting myself something I have absolutely no idea if I can do it at all and that's great that's a wonderful place to be
0: and I love that you're not scared of failing
1: no 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 no, no. Look, every every time we do anything we're setting ourselves up to fail
0: yeah you know
1: you, writing a book any of the performances as an actor being on stage um, p- p- people are going to think that's rubbish yeah and that's fine It's a whole other thing though, I suppose, (laughs) being totally rejected in front of 12 million people on a Saturday night. But that's part of the gig. It is.
0: Well, I'll be watching and texting.
1: Very good. And voting.
0: Oh, of course. Everyone I know will be ready to vote. Very good. But before we say goodbye, I just want to talk about joy. Mm -hmm. Because in your book you wrote, and there are gems, Mm -hmm. there are tiny powerful moments. If we just make ourselves available to witness and mark them, they are there every day all around us Mm. do you think looking death in the face helped you realize this
1: yeah absolutely absolutely god it was it was it Kurt Vonnegut or someone said you know we're always looking for the big things for the big things for the big things
0: Mm. and
1: it's only at the end of our life that we realize that the little things were the big things
0: exactly um
1: and especially in moments where I was in this imprisonment with my sister in her flat for all those weeks Mm -hmm. unable to move literally unable to move and and one hour just gently bleeds into the next into the next and then the bell goes and she's up and there's this moment and this nugget this flash of brilliance Mm. this, this sternum thumping bit of exquisite happiness because she wakes herself out of her slumber with a smile on her face or is able to you know she she drank a smoothie uh, i would leave her smoothies in the night um because she was always very thirsty and coming in the morning mm-hmm. and there's just smoothie everywhere and she wakes up and says yeah it's all a bit texas chainsaw today isn't it and Or just moments of vulnerability that she allows me to do something or whatever it might have been. That is the day made beautiful. That one moment. You can then go the other 23 hours, 58 minutes, it's fine. It can be humdrum. It can be dark. It can be sad. But this moment has just made this day. And we all have that if we're able to open our eyes and we're all able to have that if we're just trudging to a tube and the sun peeks out between the clouds and just for a minute you can stand there with a cold October sun on your face and just feel that or whatever it might be whatever it might be and that that moment just hold hold on to it ingest it because these are these are all we have really
0: I get it So I I did something similar. Um, When I found out that my cancer had grown during chemo, I was at the lowest moment of my life so far because I I knew too much. Mm. I needed a reason to smile. So I got a goldfish bowl. And every time something good happened, I'd write it on a card and Mm. put it in the jar, Mm. like my dog being allowed to sit on the sofa. And just seeing that visual jar of memories would always lift Mm. me in a dark place. Mm. Mm. So I'm starting a new jar of joy for the podcast. And you have the honor of filling in the first card for our listeners. So... (laughs) What's made you smile in the last few days or weeks that you'd like to share with us today?
1: Um, seeing unnecessary acts of kindness.
0: Oh, that's lovely.
1: Yeah, and I've seen I've seen a couple in the last couple of days just out on the street, and they have to be unnecessary. Yeah. And that's great because that makes, that make, again, those are the little nuggets. Those are the little things. You witness an act of kindness or if you're able to perform an act of kindness that surprises yourself, that's the day. That's the day. That's what's great. It's
0: just giving something back and being able to help, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Greg. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. We could have gone on for hours and hours. <laughs>
1: It was a joy. Uh, And let's hope at some point soon, we can actually have a drink face to face. Wouldn't that be good?
0: I can't wait. You, me and Catherine (laughs) will change the world when it comes to talking about dying.
1: Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. I've loved Mm -hmm.
0: it. And that brings us to the end of this first episode of Don't Ignore the Elephant. Wasn't Greg wonderful? I must admit I got lost in his voice and forgot I was meant to be interviewing him. He's made me feel hope that we can all find joy in our lives, even when things look really bleak. Now I'm biased, but I'm going to be voting for him on Strictly, only now I'm imagining those M&S pants underneath his tight, dancing trousers. If you want to read Greg's book about how he looked after his sister Claire, it's called Not That Kind of Love, available in all good bookshops. We've covered some pretty challenging topics today, and they might have affected you. If you're feeling a bit wobbly and need to talk to someone, you can always reach out to the Samaritans. I'll put the details in the show notes. Now Greg mentioned his death box, a place where he keeps internet passwords, spare car keys, everything that the good Mrs Wise might need when he dies. It's a brilliant idea and I can't believe I never thought of it before. I'm going to start one. Do you have a death box? I'd love to know. And if you are getting in touch, Tell me what's made you smile in the last couple of days and I'll add it to the podcast jar of joy. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking about one of the biggest taboos there is, sex. But not just sex. Sex after cancer, sex after the menopause, even sex when you're really, really old. I'm going to be speaking to Samantha Evans, also known as Sam Talks Sex, founder of the sex website, Joe Divine. Make sure you subscribe so the next episode is ready when you are. And if you do have a few seconds spare in your day, it would be wonderful if you could leave a review and let me know what you thought. Thank you. Don't Ignore the Elephant is produced by Birdline Media in association with Elizabeth Richards.